Um, I'm really looking forward to sharing with you what God has put on my heart this morning. We're going to be talking about being face-to-face with God and um, I really pray it will be a blessing to you. So let's just pray. Father, we just thank you that you are a good, good God and that you love us with an everlasting love. I thank you, Lord, that you actually want to have face-to-face encounters with us in our lives. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you just open up our hearts to hear what you want to say to us this morning. Lord, that each one of us will know you slightly better from being in this service this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm actually not very good with social media of any kind. I'm not on Facebook and I have a job keeping up with the WhatsApp messages that come in on my phone all the time. It's not really a way that I enjoy communicating with people. Our daughter Heidi lives in Preston with her husband Tim and our wonderful little granddaughter called Olive who's just two and a half years old. And I really miss them. I miss them when I'm not actually there. And certain of our friends have said to us, you need to, you need to do Skype, you know, you need to do Skype. It will be fine, you know, you can see her then. And I think it's not the same, is it? You want to get on the floor, or well, I do, I want to get on the floor and play with the Sylvanians with her face to face and enjoy real time. I'm not really one for this remote kind of thing. And to to be honest, I have my doubts about how healthy social media is. Um, Marcus and I were walking back through Preston Park one day. It was a beautiful sunny day and the park is absolutely lovely and it kind of goes rolling down towards the water at the bottom. It's lovely. And as we walked along, I said to Marcus, do you see, do you Look, look over there. And there were loads of people, because it was a lovely day, sitting on the bank. Not one of them was talking to another. They were all like this on their phones, every single one of them. So I do have my doubts um, about the, the value of all this texting and stuff all the time. Because you can be right next to someone and not be in the moment, can't you? And I really hate that. And the thing is, when we go up to see Heidi and Tim, Marcus is really good with his camera. He's always taking pictures, so I've got something to remember. But, like, I don't want to waste time taking pictures. I want to spend all the time with my granddaughter. I want to enjoy each moment and not be, like, thinking somewhere else. And um, do you know, God is like that. He wants to have close-up, and personal encounters with us. Not remotely, not from some distant place, not through other people, but face to face. And even in the Old Testament, some people actually had face to face encounters with God. There's a really strange story in Genesis where Jacob wrestles with this man and all night they're wrestling And he's like, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And it wasn't until after the man went that he realised he'd actually been wrestling with God, God in human form, like Jesus. And afterwards he said, I'm going to call the name of this place Peniel, because I saw God face to face. And Peniel means 
face of God. Moses also, he was known as a man who the Lord would speak to face to face as one speaks to a friend. Isn't that amazing? He was a special person. He really, really knew God and God really, really knew him. And so I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if we could do that? If we could just go back in time and maybe, if we're a woman, be one of the women who like follow Jesus round, uh, supplying his needs, meeting his needs. You know, there was a whole group of women that went round with Jesus and they saw what he did, but they wanted to provide for him, to cook his meals, to keep him... Um, in everything that he needed. Or wouldn't it be nice if if you could have been one of the twelve and you'd seen close up and personal all that Jesus did? But I wonder how it really makes you feel about thinking of meeting God face to face. Because sometimes we can get a wrong idea of what God is like. Sometimes we can see him as being someone with a grumpy face. Someone who might be deeply disappointed in us. Someone we can never be quite good enough for. And if we're not careful, we can tend to think of God in the way that we thought of maybe our parents or we thought of a a grumpy teacher that we had at school or some other authority figure. We can kind of project onto God visions of things that he actually isn't. We've got them from someone else. But it has, it's our good news that God is just so much better and so much more loving and so much more caring than anyone. Even if you had a really good parents, even if you had really good teachers at school who were always affirming you, God is so much better and so much more loving and accepting than any of them. It has always been God's desire to have this close-up and personal relationship with us. He never wanted it to be distant. He wanted people to come near. He didn't want people to be remote from him. And you find in the Old Testament, you know, the people say to Moses, you, you go up that mountain, Moses, you find out what God wants to stay. We'll stay down here. We don't want to be that close to God. You find out what God wants to say and you tell us. and We'll do everything he says. They didn't want to get close to God and that has always been the problem. God wants to be close with his people but they don't always want to be that close to him. Right from the beginning when God made Adam and Eve and he put them in that garden You know, God went each evening, every evening, just because he wanted to. No one told God, you've got to go and spend time with Adam and Eve. Every evening he went into the garden with Adam and Eve and he had a chat with them about what they'd been doing in the day. And it was just informal, it was lovely. That you could imagine them kind of saying to God, wow, you've made some really wacky animals today, God. Look at that kangaroo leaping around all over the place with its baby strapped in its pocket. What about those monkeys? They look wild today, running up and down the trees and making funny noises. 
And so it was just personal and it was close up and they enjoyed the sunsets together and they enjoyed just hanging out together, looking at the night sky and being together because that is God's heart for us. Even when everything went wrong and Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden um, because they couldn't stay there any longer, God was still looking for people that he could have close friendship with, close relationship with, because that's what God wants. And he found some, didn't he? He found some, not that many if you look in the Old Testament, not that many that he could actually personally chat to. People like Abraham and David, and we've talked about Moses and Jacob, People who would involve him in their lives that didn't just go to him when they needed something like so many of the other people in the Old Testament and maybe even like people like us today. He wanted to have close relationship with people. But so many people got the wrong idea of him. They thought that he was harsh and impossible to please. They didn't understand him. They didn't really get who he was and what he was about. So in the end, he had no choice really but to send his one and only son to show them who he was really, what he was really like. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 in the message says, it started when God said, light up the darkness and our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ. Not grumpy and miserable, but all bright and beautiful. God had to send Jesus because people didn't get him. They didn't understand. People were amazed when Jesus came. He was far more smiley. He was far more fun. He was beautiful. He was caring. He was loving. He wasn't like what people thought God was like. And so the Pharisees and the religious people had an awful lot of trouble understanding that Jesus was actually God. They didn't get it because he didn't fit their picture of what God was like. <clears throat> and they tried all different kind of things to try and, try and trap Jesus into thinking their way or to make Jesus do something that cut him out of he couldn't possibly be God, he couldn't possibly fulfil the scriptures. And they were always setting him up for really difficult tasks to try and prove that God really was still grumpy and cross with everyone. And one day when Jesus was teaching in the temple like the most holiest place of all, They dragged this woman before him. She was barely clothed. She was clinging on to what she had. And they were hustling her and manhandling her and they kind of thrust her before Jesus. And they said to Jesus, this woman, this woman has been found committing adultery. A crime worthy of stoning, what the Old Testament said. And and they were angry They were upset, but they were using this to set Jesus up. And I feel so sorry for this woman. 
Where was the man? You can't commit adultery on your own, can you? It's impossible. But somehow the man had slipped through the net and they were just bringing the woman. Through her before Jesus, she was humiliated. She was trying to hang on to her clothing. She was trying to retain some dignity in this awful situation. And they said, they reminded Jesus of what the law said. And they were quite right in what the law said, but they hadn't caught the issue. Jesus, the law of Moses says, this woman needs to be stoned. What do you say? What do you say, Jesus? Trying to trap him, trying to show the harsh side of God. And Jesus, he wouldn't be drawn in in that way. And he, it said he just knelt down and began to write something on the ground so that he wasn't looking at this woman, so that he wasn't further humiliating her, so that he wasn't making her more embarrassed than she was already. And the guys kept hassling him. He wasn't answering quick enough. Well, Jesus, come on, what do you say? What do you say? And when Jesus was ready, he he just stood up and he said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he knelt down and wrote again in the ground. Everything went very, very quiet. Gradually, the men walked away, starting with the oldest ones who knew, who knew their lives had not been sin-free. Last of all, the younger ones. Until the woman was there on her own with Jesus. What was she thinking at that point? Was she wondering, okay, so this guy is different to the others, but what's he going to say to me? What's he going to do to me now? We don't know why she started to commit adultery. Maybe she was in a loveless marriage and was looking for love in the wrong places. Maybe that man actually took advantage of her. We don't know that. We don't know why, but she was a hurt woman and she was standing or laying on the floor, kneeling before Jesus. She might have been thinking, well, I do deserve a really good telling off. I've made some really bad choices in my life. Should never have done that. Should never have got involved with that man made some really bad choices. He's going to tell me off. He's going to treat me like other men have treated me. Maybe he's going to abuse me. I don't know. Jesus, so different. So different to anyone she'd ever met before. He picks her face. He says, where are those people? He looks her in the eye. He gives her dignity. He gives her respect. Where are all those men who are accusing you? She says, they've gone. Jesus said, didn't they stay and accuse you? Has no one condemned you? 
no one, sir. Still scared, still wondering what's going to happen. And what does she hear from the voice of Jesus? Neither do I condemn you. I'm not here to tell you off. I'm not here to tell you you're a really bad woman, that you should have done everything differently. I'm not condemning you. Now go, go on your way. Don't get into this mess again because it's really not doing you good. It's ruining your life. And I imagine this woman leaving and feeling that for once in her life she had been really loved. Just once in her life she had been really loved. Knowing that she could have a new start. Knowing that she had been given dignity and she knew now how to say no. And she could be the person that God made her to be. I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have seen the real Jesus. This is only a picture. I wish I could have seen the look in his eye as he raised this woman up and gave her back her life and her dignity. The religious leaders, they knew their Bibles They had everything accurately as far as the scriptures were concerned. But they didn't really understand the spirit behind it. They were so legalistic. They were so bound by law. Every single word. And Jesus was trying to show them a different way. Another time, Jesus was invited round for Sunday lunch with a Pharisee, a very important Pharisee. He knew he was very important. And he'd invited all his important friends as well. But the real reason that he'd invited Jesus was that they wanted to see what he was really like. And they wanted to see what he would do in a particular circumstance because they wanted to find fault with him. And Jesus knew they were all looking at him and wondering what he was going to do next and wondering how he was going to trip himself up. And there was a man there and all his joints were really swollen and he was right in front of Jesus. And Jesus asked these religious rulers, the people who should have known all about God, and he said to them, is it permitted to heal on the Sabbath or not? Do you know it went totally silent? Not one of them answered. I think they were wrestling with themselves. They probably probably always had that debate about whether Jesus should do these things on the Sabbath because it said in the law, you shall rest on the Sabbath day, you shall do no work. And they'd taken it so tight and so legalistic And Jesus looks at them and it's like he's despairing. Come on, guys. Here's a man in pain. Here's a man with swollen joints. He needs healing. Surely. So Jesus kind of ignored the silence and just healed him anyway. But he wanted them to get it. He wanted them to understand. And so he said to them, he tries to explain to them, And so he says to you, look, 
If one of your children falls down a well on the Sabbath day, or even one of your animals falls down a well on the Sabbath day, won't you try and get him out? Won't you try and rescue them? Or will you say, oh dear, it's not Monday yet? And they didn't get it. They didn't get it. Praise God that our God... The God we serve is not limited by tight legal things. He's not limited. He's not harsh. He's not critical. He doesn't only work in church. He works outside church. He is bigger than all these things. He's actually very simple. Just love everyone. Just love everyone, even people that no one else likes. Love them. Jesus showed this in the story of Zacchaeus. He was going to Jericho one day and on the way he sees this very little man in a tree and he he calls out to Zacchaeus, right? There's this whole crowd around and he notices that one, that one man in the tree Hiding, a little man, not popular. And Jesus knows all about everyone. He knew his name. No, it doesn't say he said, what's that guy's name? He just says, Zacchaeus, points up in the tree. He says, Zacchaeus, you need to invite us round to your house because I would love to come round your house today. Whoa, I think in all the religious people. You don't go round his house. You know what's wrong with him. You must know what's wrong with him. He's a tax collector. He's a traitor. He takes more taxes off us than he should. He sees that as his kind of perk of the job. Just take a bit more. Some for the Romans, some for me, some for the Romans, some for me. Jesus, you don't go round hanging out with that kind of person. And Jesus picked him out of the crowd. Maybe he was the worst person Jesus could find in the crowd that day. I don't know. He says, looks him in the eyes. Zacchaeus, I want to come round your house. I want to see your home. I want to hang out with you, Zacchaeus. Oh dear, that did upset people. That really upset people. And then they thought, well, maybe... Maybe Jesus will sort him out. Maybe he'll tell him off, tell him to sort his life out. But Jesus went round his house and he was all smiley. He hung out with him. He chatted about the weather, this and that. He showed that little man dignity and respect that no one else had shown him. He treated him like he was special. And Zacchaeus had been told all his life he wasn't special. He was little. He was mean. He was selfish. He knew what was wrong with him. He didn't need Jesus coming in, wagging a finger, telling him off, telling him to sort his life out, stop messing about. He needed love. And the power of love is greater than any other power. And Jesus showed him in his face what the face of God was like. Not condemning, not harsh, not critical, not judgmental. He showed him love. 
And when that little man had sat in the presence of Jesus and seen the face of God, he changed just like that. Because love is so much more powerful. And he said, I think I've made quite a mess of my life. I think I've taken too much money from other people. I think I need to pay them back four times the amount I've stolen from them. Jesus didn't tell him to do that. He thought of that all by himself. And he went off and sorted out all that gave away, probably gave away all his money, because four times is an awful lot. Gave away his money. He'd met Jesus. Through Jesus, God was able to show him, show exactly who he was, what he was really, really like. Through Jesus, he gave hope to hopeless people. He set captives free. He gave dignity to sinners who knew they were bottom of the pile in society. He restored broken hearts. He healed. He showed the love of God. Everywhere that Jesus went, people encountered God in his face. They could see God's face in Jesus' face. Not grumpy, but fun, free, loving, caring. And so this morning, God invites us. He invites us to see God's face to seek God's face, not just for ourselves, but for other people, so that where we go out from this place, we show people the face of God in our faces. David wrote in Psalm 27, one thing I ask of the Lord. Now you think of all the things that we ask of God. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, not the grumpy face, and to seek him in his temple. My heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. And we can do that. We can seek God's face. David was writing to a bunch of men who were going to lead worship in the, in the temple when it finally happened. And he said, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Seek his face. Not just his hands, you get that. Not just gimme, gimme, God, these are my list of problems for the day. I'm asking you to take them away, magic them away and make my life easy and happy and full of joy and everything. But he's going, I want to know you, God, for who you are. I want to feel your heart, not just for me, but for other people. I want to seek your face. I want to see in my imagination. No, we can use our imaginations in the way that we think about Jesus. We think about God. 
Use your imagination to connect with him and say, God, I want to see you face to face because I know you want to see me face to face. You want to have those close encounters with me. And as we look at him, we'll see the love in his eyes. We'll see the compassion that he has for us and for other people. God isn't mad at us. He isn't angry at us. He's not always reminding us of the things we've done wrong and how we've disappointed him. God is love, John tells us. And he sent Jesus to show us what his face is really like. Even in the Old Testament, God made it clear. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Not scowl, shine. When we think of shiny faces, what do we think? Happy, bright faces. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. You know, God, when he looks at us, he is proud of us. Even when we've messed up, he'll still see the good in us because he made us. Someone read that verse this morning, didn't they? That the Lord... I think you read it, didn't you? That the the Lord made us. He made us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. He's put things in us that are special to us, each one of us. He's not mad at us. He's proud of us. He's proud of the good things we do and he can help us with the things that we're not so good at. His face is shining when he thinks of us. And today I just want to encourage you to connect in God, connect with our loving Father in a way that you haven't before. And if there are things that you've got in your life and you're not happy with them, you're ashamed of them, deal with them with God, take them to him and say, God, I'm mucked up in that, show me how to make it right. I haven't done well in that area. God, give me wisdom to know how to deal with this. I just want to encourage you to put away any religious ideas you might have and just receive God's grace and mercy and then go out and show that grace and mercy to lots of other people who don't deserve it. Find someone this week who doesn't deserve God's grace or his mercy and love them. Show them a bit of love. Don't tell them to fix themselves. They can't without God. Just show them his love. And then, you know, the exciting thing for all of us is that the day will come when if we know God, we will see him actually face to face. And I'm really looking forward to that. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, Now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Let's pray. Father, what can we say? We are just so grateful and so humbled that, Lord, you would smile on us. A smile of pride, a smile of love, a smile that isn't condemning, that isn't telling us to sort ourselves out. Lord, that you would, you would give everything. Jesus, you gave your whole life so that we would know 
what the Father is like and so that we can connect with him genuinely. And Lord, I just pray that you would just cleanse us of all like religious ideas where we see maybe a grumpy face when we think of you, God, and then we go and project grumpy face around. Lord, we just want to be people who just reflect you to other people. Sometimes we can't do that because we, we don't really, really know you. Like the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, they didn't really, really know you. And Lord, just pray today that you would help each one of us to walk in a closer relationship with you, Lord, where we seek your face, not just your hands, not just what you can do for us, Lord, but we want to have real relationship with you like Adam and Eve did in the beginning, where we can just walk and talk with you through our daily lives, where we know, Lord, when you're telling us to do something, Lord, where we hear your voice of affirmation, where you say, well done, that was really great. I love you. You're my child. I'm really pleased with you. Lord, just bring us revelation. Help us to see and seek your face this week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.